Yo, 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 it's your man's Big Daddy Roughneck. You're tuned in to the Gary Rugman Podcast. Prepare to be entertained. Hello, America, and hello, Texas. This is Gary Brugman with the Gary Brugman Podcast. Today, I have a special guest. He's a retired master trooper from the Virginia State Police, Gold Star Dad, one of my best friends. He and I will bounce off the guardrails together today with you. So, let's get to it. Hey, everybody, this is Gary Brugman. Welcome to episode four of the podcast. Um, I want to thank everybody for listening. Because my show has gone international. This little podcast has gone international. It's primarily heard in the United States, of course. But it's also heard in Canada, Germany, Australia, and Mexico. And I believe I know each one of those people that's listening in those other countries. So thank you all for listening and uh, supporting the podcast. I appreciate it very much. Of, uh, of course, I want to thank all the first responders that put pin on the badge and head to work every day and keep our country safe. I want to thank my Border Patrol, and I call it my Border Patrol because I feel that it is, for uh, for always holding the line and for always being there for me when I need them. You know, I've only, I only worked the border for, um, you know, a few years, five years or so, uh, and I, I fell and ended up going to prison. But in those five years, I built bonds and friendships and brotherhoods with uh, many agents that we still talk today and I consider them family. And, you know, when you stand, when you stand, you know, on the line with a guy and you're in a life or death situation and, and, um, you depend on each other, it builds bonds that you just don't even imagine. That's why veterans are so close. And that's why law enforcement officers are so tight because nobody knows what it's like in order having each other's back like that. It's, it's something that, very few people get to experience, and I, even if it was for a short time, I got to work the border and, and make some good bonds with my brothers. I want to thank Lieutenant Colonel Jeffrey Atticott. He's uh, my pardon attorney. He is uh, pushing my pardon to the president. He is the director of the Warrior Defense Project and professor of law at St. Mary's University. And, Jeff, I just want to thank for everything you've done, and um, it's going to happen. I know it is. I can feel it. So just to recap the last few episodes, I uh, I was a Border Patrol agent. I served nine years in the Coast Guard. I was a Border Patrol agent. I pushed an illegal alien on the ground. I violated his civil rights. And um, I got charged, convicted, and sent to prison for two years. Uh, you know, when you're in, when you're in the joint and, and it feels like even God ain't around you, you really, really need to have your faith and continue to press forward. I almost gave up a bunch of times. Sometimes I still feel like I want to give up, but I don't. I keep going. I keep pushing forward. You know, um, being in prison was scary. A federal agent in prison was scary. To the inmates, I was a cop, and to the cops, I was an inmate. So I walked around uh, several, many, many, many days with magazines stuffed inside my pants, making a... Uh, makeshift body armor. Eventually, I ended up getting some newspapers and I got my hands on some packing tape and uh, I actually made a vest. It was it was makeshift body armor vest and I'd wear it under my my shirts and my jackets and I'd tuck it into my pants in case I got, in case I got shanked. Um, the threat was always there. Everybody knew who I was. So, 
you had to do what you had to do. But we made it past there, and now I've got the pardon into the president, and I'm you know hoping he does the right thing. I know he will. The, the question is, can I get him his attention to my pardon, which is the whole reason I started this podcast, because I haven't really found a purpose. So my purpose now is to get the attention of my president and uh, get his signature on my pardon petition. Yeah, because I know as soon as the president finds out about it, he's going to sign my pardon because it's just unreal what happened. So, But um, I'm going to go ahead and continue on into my next guest. Uh, my next guest is a retired master trooper, Virginia State Police. And uh, he's also a gold star dad and one of my best friends. And uh, I've known this guy for quite a while. And his name's Daryl Bowling. And his son, Corporal Jonathan Bowling, was a U.S. Marine that was killed in uh, in action in Iraq in 2005. Daryl, how are you? I'm fine this morning. Hey, I'm glad to hear your voice, man. I heard you were sick for a little while. I'm, and something told me to text you yesterday because I had this feeling that you just weren't feeling well. Well, you, you said how are You know, asked me how I was. And when I said I'd been sick, you said I had that feeling. I thought, oh, what did I do? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no kidding, right? Well, you know, man, honestly, I was like, I haven't talked to Daryl. I haven't texted him. And, you know, I haven't commented on any stuff on Facebook. And I just had that feeling, man, that you weren't right. So that's that's why I sent you out there, sent you that text. Uh, that's about as sick as I've been in a good while. You gonna make it? Oh yeah. All yeah. right. So Daryl, um, of course, we know that you were a master trooper with the Virginia State Police. When did you go into the? When did you go into state police? Uh, I became a trooper in 1976. Uh, July 1, 1976. And how long were you a trooper? 36 years. What kind of cars did you drive back in 76? <laughs> we, we had the big 440 Magnums. I mean, the true 440 Magnums. Nice. Uh, I, I remember. Big Plymouth Furies. Oh, that must have been fun. Well, those things were boats. I remember I was down there with you one time when we were setting up for uh, Jonathan's run. And uh, it was early in the morning. And you were telling me that you were chasing the guy. And he made, pulled a hard turn on you. And you tried to turn. And you lost it. And you spun out. And there was a guy sitting there saying, wow, you drive great. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, we were going down the side road and uh, uh, had a little ice that morning, kind of black ice. Right. And I hit the turn and the back end of that car come around and backed right up in this fellow's driveway. <laughs> and, and he was standing out there in the yard and he said, you're driving some of a gun. You know that, don't you? I, thought, I didn't have a bit of control over that car. Meanwhile, you're white knuckling the steering wheel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I needed new underwear almost. I hear that. I hear that. Did you do a complete spin or did you just do a half a spin or what? It went around twice. No kidding. Did you get the guy? Yeah. I knew who he was. Oh, so you got him afterwards? Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> Can't get away from Trooper Bowling in in in, in Patrick <laughs> County, can you? <laughs> oh, we've we've done some strange things. I had uh, dead end road over off of Dobbins, and uh, they had called me about four wheelers riding up and down the road. Right, and I went over and went up to the dead end and started back out, and I didn't go but just a little ways and here come two four-wheelers up the road i never will forget the back one had a 
German Shepherd dog riding on the back of it with the guy. Okay. And I stopped in the road and opened the car door. My intentions were just to tell them, look, fellas, you can't be riding up here on the public highway. Right. Uh, had no intention of uh, arresting them or anything. And I kind of opened the door, and the first one swerved and went around me. And the second one, the one with the dog, he just sticks his left foot out and kicked my door closed right on me. Oh, My damn. leg was still out. So he got you um, with it. Yeah, I was pretty pissed. <laughs> <laughs> so so I, oh, I run him up in good. the woods as far as the police car would go and got out on foot. These guys have been drinking. That's probably the reason that they did what they did. But uh, And what year was this, Daryl? This would have been about 80, okay. 81. Um, as I approach them on foot, they take off and go another tenth of a mile and stop again and wait on me. Okay. So, so are they playing games with you at this out. point? With age? No, I said, so uh, they're get, playing games with you at this point. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're playing with me. So I got tired of playing and <laughs> had my radio with me. And the only way you could get out was follow that up to the top of the mountain. And then it came out on another road. Right. So I uh, called the county. They sent a couple of deputies up to the top. And I walked back down in my car and got in it. And as I was traveling up there, they came out on the top end and one of the deputies was standing in the road trying to stop them. And they nearly run over her, the oh, wow. female officer. So now it's getting serious. It was already serious with me. <laughs> <Anyway>. <laughs> That's right. They, they hit you at the door. Anyway, uh, he just took his foot and kicked the door shut on me. Right. But uh, didn't damage a car. But it, anyway... Um, I get up there to the top and they had gone up the hard top a short ways and took a logging road that came up. It actually came out, uh, up at, on top of the mountain near Vesta, but we'd had a lot of ice damage that winter. And I actually knew the road. Okay. And all kinds of big trees had fell down. It was, I knew they couldn't get but so far. So, I looked around and nice big field there in the barn. And uh, I went over and talked to the man that owned the farm and he saddled a horse for me. Oh, hell. And I got on that horse and got my 870 Remington and I went off up in there after him. Nice. And, and the deputies, they, they kind of blocked the road down at the bottom in case they got by me. So you're going to flush uh, them out. I started on up the road, and as further I get up, I could hear them going over branches and stuff and talk, you know, fussing, uh, trying to get on through. And they got to the point where they could go no further. 
So um, I heard him start back down the mountain. And there's a long sweeping turn where one end you can't see the other end of it. And I picked that spot when I got to the turn. They were coming down the mountain, and I was just sitting there on the horse with that shotgun. Oh, damn. They they come around that turn, and I racked one in the chamber. (laughs) Their eyes, I've never seen eyes get that big. (laughs) Chick, chick. But I left the four-wheelers up there, and I made them walk out of the mountain, me behind them on the horse, point the shotgun at them. Chain gang style. But, <laughs> but it was all right. Worked good. So, so Jonathan was a police officer as well in Martinsville, because he was actually a reserve Marine, wasn't he? That, that's right. He, he went in the Marine Corps, uh, got his training in Lejeune, and he went to uh, – um, got his training in Paris Island. Okay. And then went to Lejeune. Um, in Lejeune, he went through combat engineer training. Right. And he actually got a field promotion there while he was there. Wow, nice. Which is highly unusual for a recruit. Um, came back. He was assigned to the reserve unit out of Lynchburg, Virginia. Right. Um. Now, now let me stop you real quick. Let me stop you real quick. I, uh, I talked to the, you know, our, our Marine family last night. I sent a couple of texts out because I want to make sure I referenced them right. So they were the 4th Combat Engineer Battalion, Charlie Company, 2nd Platoon. That's and, correct. And uh, I was telling Edgy if there was, I was, I was asking uh, Edgy Taylorson if there was a way I can, like, refer to it in a shorter version, you know, so I don't have to say 4th Combat Engineer Battalion, Charlie Company, second platoon every time and he said no there's no way because there's a group of guys and everyone and the marines will know if you don't know what you're talking about so i yeah. to, so i told uh, so i told him know, Darryl, was so, Darryl, so i told him so i told him so i told him so so the fourth combat platoon is wrong then and he's like god damn coasties <laughs> <laughs> you're messing up <laughs> yeah he's like damn coasties so but for the rest of the show, I'm just going to refer to him as, as the Fort CEB. So, because I'm not that, saying that every right. time. Fort so, Combat Engineer Battalion. Right. So he was a Martinsville police officer for how long? Well, he he joined the reserve unit at Lynchburg. Then he uh, he worked a short time as a uh, advisor or mentor. Right. At Hargrave Military Academy in Chatham. Okay. It, it's a military academy for young boys. All right. He was kind of a counselor. And he was and, a, he was a big church kid too, wasn't he? He was he was big into Oh the yeah. John John would go to his church on Sunday morning. Then Sunday afternoon, he made a habit out of when when he came by church and just liked the looks of it and the feel of it. He would go there. Right. Walk in by himself, didn't know a single soul there, and attend their service that evening. Wow. Uh, but uh, got to be proud of that. Yeah, yeah. Um, he came back at, after he told me he wanted to go to college. So he came back and he uh, enrolled in the Patrick Henry Community College and uh, was taking classes there. And, and his goal was you know, be a trooper someday. Right. Like his dad. Um, 
so at that time, he had submitted an application to the state police, and they had returned to him that they weren't hiring at this time, and uh, he would be given consideration. His application would be held on file until they were hiring. Uh, Tommy wasn't really that good at that time, and um, so he's taking criminal justice courses at Patrick Henry, and uh, Chief Martinsville Police Officer, or Martinsville Police Department called me, and uh, his name was Mike Rogers, and Mike said, Darrell, I understand you got a boy that wants to get into police work. And I said, I do. And he said, well, He's like you, I want him. And I said, well, Mike, he wants to be a trooper. And he said, well, don't I even get a chance to talk to him? <laughs> and I said, yeah, and I give him John's cell number. Right. Um, John come home that afternoon and told me that the chief had called him. <laughs> and, and I said, you know, what are you going to do? And he said, well, they're not hiring with the state. And I said, I know. And he said, I told him I wanted to be a trooper, but he said he wants to interview me tomorrow. And I said, well, it won't hurt to uh, go for an interview. He went not. down and he talked to the chief. Um, the chief was impressed with him. Uh, they ran a polygraph on him. I remember Mike called me and, and he said, Girl, I just want you to know this kid hadn't been into anything. Right. <laughs> he, he, we've never had nobody like this. So he's a total, he's a total Boy Scout, straight up Eagle Scout. Yeah. Yeah. And, and he said, uh, I'm, I'm going to hire him. And I said, Mike, I told you he wants to be a trooper, and I know him well enough to know he's going to do what he plans on doing. Right. And he said, well, I talked to him about that, and I told him that I would hire him if he would give me three years. Right. And he agreed to do that. Nice. So they put him to work like in two days. Outstanding. He went through the academy, won several of the awards given at the end of the graduation. Um, and got the top physical fitness award, of course. Now after, now after that. Marine stuff. Now after that, didn't, didn't the state police actually call him and he declined? Yes. Yes, um, maybe a week after he graduated from the police academy. No March, kidding. I got a phone call from personnel in Richmond, and they told me that they were sending him a letter inviting him down for an interview. So wow. he come down, and I showed it to him. And, and by this time, you know, by the time he went through the academy and everything, about four months had transpired. Right. So Jonathan said, well, let's, let's see if we get a letter. And he did, uh, inviting him to come down and be interviewed and go through the process. And that came to the house when he got off work that evening, he came by and read it. <laughs> and he said, man, <laughs> I said, what are you going to do? And he said, well, I gave my word to Chief Rogers that I'd work for three years. Right, so he's got to keep his word. 
and I'm going to do that. But he said, now, the time started when I, he hired me, not today. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> yeah, I said, okay. Right. So he went down, showed the letter to the chief. The chief was fine. He said, like I said, you complete three years. If I can't convince you to stay with us and you need, you want to go to the state, that's fine. I'll understand. And that that's the arrangement they had. Right. Well, that's outstanding, man. And I remember you telling me those stories early in the mornings driving through uh, Virginia setting up for that, and those those stuck with me, man. So yeah. So when 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 he got when he got deployed, uh, and he was over there, how worried were you? I was scared to death. Like um, this, <laughs> I knew it wasn't a Boy Scout campery. Right. Um, I don't know. John and I did everything together. I know that. Uh, we were good about. Even though he was a lot younger, I sought his advice and he sought mine. Right. Uh, and we'd talk it out. And I, I know that I was asleep several times, one or two o'clock in the morning. And he would call me here at the house on his cell phone while he was working. Right. And this situation or that situation, he said, Dad, what do you think I need to do? And I'd advise him on it. Um, I couldn't go with him to Iraq. So that I know you would have. Oh yeah, I damn right. Would've. I'd have been there that night. You probably slow everybody down though. Well, <laughs> I don't know about slowing them down, but I would have been there. Right, absolutely. So while while he was over there, Daryl, I mean, I know you were worried because it's your son. It's it's your flesh and blood. Um, were you glued to the TV watching the news or were you trying to ignore it? I tried to ignore it as much as I could, but John was lucky. Uh, the group he was with had a satellite phone and they passed it around. So they pretty much called me every day. All right. Good. Good. So, so they were, they were over in, uh, in at the Haditha dam. And they they started out in Al Assad, right? And that's in Ambar, right? Which uh, Al Assad is near Baghdad. Okay, and it's one of the largest military bases they had over there. Right. Um, food was great. They ate well. Everything was, and they went out on their patrols from that base. Okay. Then in November of two thousand four. The Marines invaded um, Fallujah. Fallujah. And you know how that went. Uh, right. Multiple casualties. They took back the city. Right. And, and they actually um, pushed them out, pushed the insurgents out. Right. They- right. Um, after Fallujah, the insurgents or the bad guys just split and went in all directions. The Euphrates River runs from Syria down into Baghdad. Right. Which is what they call the it River of Secrets, the, correct? Right. Right. Um, the Euphrates is the main guide they used to group up and, and to follow it towards Baghdad. Right. And a little town up there called Haditha. 
Right, where the dam is. had a hydroelectric dam. Right. Um, one of the few in the country that provided electricity. It was a uh, critical um, area that they needed to defend, and John's group got sent there. Right. Once at al I mean, once at Hadipa, things changed. It was more like you think about soldiers being in war zones where they don't get the best food, where they don't have the most time to right. now, prepare now, and enjoy. Now they're out in the battlefield because that whole place That's up right. there was, was, was kind of a mess. Because like, like, like Well, it was crawling with uh, bad guys. Right. So on uh, on on that one night they on that was it January twenty sixth they were they got sent out to uh, to a house that they found it was empty correct January twenty sixth they acted on information from an informant that there was a high priority um, insurgent with his lieutenants in a house in a little town called Hakania. Right. Um, they were given the mission to go in and secure that house and everybody inside. So I think they left somewhere around midnight from the dam. A large convoy of Marines. Right. Went right into town and right to that house. Uh, Combat engineer is a little different than you think of an engineer being. Um, out here in, in our world, they build stuff. Uh, engineers build stuff and design stuff. Correct. Over there, an engineer with the Marines blows stuff up. Right. They tear it down. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's that's what they do. And uh, John was the entry group. Right. Uh, that kicked the doors in through the flash bombs um, and entered in and secured the building. Um, there's actually footage of them doing that that night uh, in that commentary that we talked about. Right, right. Um, so, so they entered the building and there was nothing there. Do you, um, do you think it not was Not even setup? furniture. Yeah, they thought it was. A setup. It, ha- it has to be because that, that was that yeah. was my thought when I first when I first heard it. It has to be a setup. Yes. So they had all kinds of air supports, my understanding. Right. But at the point where nothing was there, all that was called off. Okay. And they started making their journey back um, to Aditha Dam, and they were ambushed. Right. Uh, Jonathan was riding in a open back, a armored uh, Humvee. Humvee. It's more like, rather than the normal style you see, it's more like uh, like a pickup truck. Yeah, it's more right. like a Humvee with a pickup truck bed on. The open back, right? So they right. that was a big mosque in this town, mm-hmm. and uh, and a lot of the fire that they were receiving. Uh, they were actually ambushed because it was coming from all directions, correct? Yeah, they were in a a lined-up deal where they had crossed killing field. Right. So they had gotten through the first firefight and thought they were clear. 
And 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 uh, and then what happened from there? Someone from that mosque fired a rocket propelled grenade. Uh, it hit the vehicle, actually where John was sitting. It hit, it hit right behind him. Right. Um, Damn. You know that there were four I'm, guys I'm on here, each side. You know, Daryl, I've I've heard you know I know this story and I've heard this story before and you know. I know a lot of the Marines that were there and it took me a long, took us a long time for them to like accept me. Cause I'm just a freaking coasty. And as many times I hear the story just now, I just got goosebumps just thinking about the whole thing again. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it injured the two people in the, I guess the passenger compartment of the vehicle, right? The cabin, the, uh-huh, the blast and concussion did, um, John's body armor did what it was designed to do and deflected. Okay. Unfortunately, there were three guys sitting beside of him. Right. Um, that was Weaver, Lynn. It killed Strong, Str- who was furthest away from John. Right. And it killed Weaver, who was sitting beside Strong. And he was sitting beside Carl Lynn. Correct. Um, Carl and Jonathan lived through the attack. Uh, they were brought back to the base at Aditha, and there were injuries across from them and the other four guys also, but not critical. All right. Hey, um, hey Daryl, I want to I want to go ahead and, and stop you right here for a minute because I'm going to go okay. ahead and save this piece here. We're gonna I'm gonna save it so I don't lose it like I did last time on my podcast. And we're going to roll out here and stay on the line with me, okay? Okay. And we'll be back here shortly.